Good morning. Would you bow with me once more? Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Lord Jesus, thank you that this morning you are so ready to meet with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that each person here this morning is not here by accident or coincidence. You foresaw this day and this message, and so I simply pray that as we are here to meet with you, would you speak through me, your messenger. I pray that you would give me the energy and the boldness to speak your word clearly, Lord, by the power of your spirit, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I expect that many of you will have seen the movie Forrest Gump. Who here has seen the movie Forrest Gump? Quite a few of you have seen it. If you haven't seen it, you've probably heard it referenced before. It's uh, a famous movie played by Tom Hanks where he plays a rather slow-witted southern man that no one expects much of in life. And yet through his simplicity, his good heart, his honesty, he ends up living a truly remarkable life. While the film takes us through the twists and turns of Forrest Gump's life as he moves from an obscure childhood to becoming a ping-pong champion, uh, eventually a soldier in the Vietnam War, then a millionaire shrimping tycoon, and finally, and perhaps most famously, running back and forth across the width of the United States multiple times. You'll remember as well, if you've seen the film, Forrest's platoon leader, Lieutenant Dan. Well, Lieutenant Dan lost his legs in the Vietnam War. And when Forrest meets him again following the war several years later, Lieutenant Dan had become a very, very bitter sort of a man. And in one memorable scene, Lieutenant Dan cynically asks Forrest, sitting from his wheelchair, this question. So, Forrest, have you found Jesus yet? To which Forrest, in his slow southern drawl, replies... Well, Lieutenant Dan, I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him. Now, we may smile at that, but it points us towards a profound truth. Jesus is not lost. Jesus is not missing. We don't need to be looking for him. You see, his body is not lying in some undiscovered tomb somewhere, nor is he hiding away in some remote mountaintop. No, Jesus is very much alive. He is alive. He is living. But it begs the question, where is Jesus today? Where is he exactly? Well, the scripture tells us exactly where Jesus is. In Mark chapter 16, verse 19, we are told plainly these words. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Now, does anyone present here today know the significance of this past Thursday? Does anyone know what took place on Thursday? Anyone? Yes, Marilyn. Ascension Day. Very good. I was hoping that someone here would know, and maybe some of you, uh, others of you knew that Thursday was Ascension Day. Now, being Ascension Day, some of you here, I suspect, didn't know that that was the case, But Luke records that Jesus' ascension into heaven took place exactly 40 days following Easter Sunday. Now, it's likely that because Ascension Day falls midweek, it's often overlooked and not celebrated in the same way as many of the other Christian holidays. 
I actually think it's quite sad it doesn't receive the attention that it deserves. Just think of the stark contrast, if you will, for a moment, between Christmas, when Jesus arrived on the scene, and Ascension Day, when Jesus departed. Christmas, we have weeks and weeks of of festivals and and concerts, and then we celebrate, and we have a holiday and a day off. And yet, when Jesus leaves, it's midweek, it's a Thursday, and most of us just treat it like any other workday and hardly even notice that it's taken place. Now, I think this is unfortunate because this means many Christians and others, by extension, miss out on the tremendous truth that the the ascension of Jesus Christ has to teach us about his finished work here on earth and his continued work and ministry on our behalf in heaven. And so this morning, we're going to consider the ascension's relevance for our present life and for eternal life. Now, if you take your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 1. And beginning in verse 9, we're going to look a little closer at this text this morning. Beginning in verse 9, we read the words that Luke has recorded for us. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Now, many skeptics and cynics have mocked the ascension of Jesus, calling him the first astronaut. Of course, by this implying that Jesus was the first one to sort of fly up off the earth into some distant, faraway place. Others have taken the ascension of Jesus and tried to explain away it as being purely symbolic or spiritual in its meaning. It didn't actually physically happen, just something that we have to learn by in the spiritual realm. But Luke, ever the careful historian, makes it abundantly clear that this account is to be read as literal historical fact. It literally and physically happened as seen by reliable first-hand witnesses. They actually saw Jesus rise up from the ground and then watched, it says, intently as he was enveloped in a cloud and thus passed from the physical realm into the spiritual realm. Now, not surprisingly, the disciples are stunned at what they'd seen. They're staring up into the clouds. I'm sure their jaws hanging wide open, you know, trying to process this miraculous sight that they've just seen. And then two angels appear beside them. And they ask them, why are you standing staring up into heaven? And then they tell them that Jesus, who has been taken up into heaven, that someday he would return back to earth in the same manner. Well, of course, the disciples would never forget what they'd seen that day. It changed them in a very drastic way, and they went out that day remembering what they had seen, remembering what they had heard, and they would never again be the same. And now let's look at some of the things that we can learn from Jesus' ascension. The first principle that I'd like to draw out for you this morning that we can learn is the power of Jesus' resurrection body. Now, Jesus floating up into the sky and disappearing into a cloud just seems impossible. I've never seen anyone do this before, have you? Have you ever seen anyone go Superman and fly up into a cloud? Well, I haven't. It seems impossible. It's against the laws of gravity and nature, the physical realm. It's miraculous. 
But let me ask you, have you ever seen something that appeared impossible, but you saw it with your own eyes? Has anyone ever seen something that physically it just seemed impossible, but you saw it anyways? Has anyone seen anything like that? A couple of you are putting hands up. Well, I want to say, I have. And let me ask, did anyone happen to see the illusionist Harris III perform last year at the Shamrock Center? I think some of you were there. I was there, and I'll tell you that with my own eyes, I watched intently as Harris III made a coffee table float up off the ground and then fly around the stage. No strings, no nothing. This coffee table was floating up off the stage and then flew around the stage with no strings attached. It seemed utterly impossible against the law of gravity. And yet, I saw it with my own eyes. Of course, Harris III went on to explain that what we saw, what it looked like, was all a trick. It was an illusion. But even so, I'll never forget what I saw. But now, in contrast, Luke is saying that Jesus' ascension was no trick or illusion. It really happened. And the disciples were eyewitnesses of it. Of course, they couldn't make sense of it any more than when they saw Jesus walk on the water or heal the sick, or rise from the dead. But you see, the disciples didn't have to understand how it happened to believe that it was really happening. And so through faith, they accepted that a higher law, a higher power was at work, one that, though they couldn't understand it, was still greater than the laws of physics or of nature. To help us understand this a little bit more clearly, I want you to just think for a second of someone from the 18th century coming to our modern day times. Imagine someone from the 18th century who's used to the things that they would have in that era, horse and buggy and and the like, coming to, say, Winnipeg International Airport. And there on the runway, they see a modern Boeing 747 standing on the runway. They've never seen one before in their life, but... This Boeing 747 standing on the runway at its maximum capacity weight of 970,000 pounds. That's a lot of weight holding it to the ground. The laws of gravity of physics are pulling it down firmly, clamping it to the ground on that runway. And so if you were to ask the person from the 18th century if they thought that that giant thing could fly and told them how much it weighed, 970,000 pounds... Do you think that thing can fly? What would they say? No way. Not a chance. It's impossible. But then imagine, to their astonishment, as the powerful jet engines are turned on and the laws of aerodynamics come into their own, overcoming the force of gravity and making the seemingly impossible possible. And the fact that the 18th century person doesn't understand how does not stop that plane from taking off the ground and flying away into the clouds, does it? Not one bit. It's going to do it just the same. And so it was with the Lord Jesus' resurrection and ascension. The disciples looked on, not understanding how, and neither can we. But that doesn't in any way change the fact that Jesus did take off, literally, from the ground and flew away into the clouds, does it? Simply a higher law, a greater power that we don't yet fully understand was at work. Because you see, the natural laws that God gave to govern the physical realm, 
They are not the same laws that govern the spiritual realm where God dwells. Heaven is not some distant galaxy that Jesus needed to fly away to like Superman. No, heaven's location is in the unseen spiritual realm. A place every bit as real and concrete as ours is, but one that we in our physical bodies cannot see or travel to. However, Jesus, in his new resurrection body, he had and has the power and the ability to pass between the two realms as easily as we could pass from inside of a building to outside of a building. Jesus' new resurrection body had the power to do so. You see, the physical laws of gravity and time and space that apply to us no longer applied to him. And for this reason, Jesus was able to suddenly appear in the middle of a locked room and then vanish again into thin air. And Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says, He showed himself to these men offering many convincing proofs that he was alive. And then after this, he ascends up into heaven more easily than a 747 jet can take off from a runway. What is impossible for us is easy for the resurrected and powerful Christ. So now you might be wondering, what does any of this mean for me? How does this apply to us in any way? Well, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, we read this interesting verse. Paul writes, But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take away our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Did you catch that line? He is going to give us glorious new bodies like his own. One day, we are going to be like Jesus. And so this means that the things that Jesus did, we will also be capable of doing. And best of all, the new body will never age or die. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1 states this clearly. He says again, the Apostle Paul, For we know that when this earthly tent that we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. So here we see this promise. God is going to handcraft brand new bodies for us, ones that will not break down or die. So let me just ask you, are you looking forward to this? Are you looking forward to the day you're going to receive new resurrection bodies that will not age or die? I certainly am. I am looking forward to the day where there are no more funerals. Where there's no more death. There are no more goodbyes and no more departing. No more sorrow over there. We could sing the whole song, right? And so, yes, we have two more funerals this week. And when I think of my grandma, and when I think of Henry Falk... I can honestly tell you, it makes me happy. It makes me happy to think that they will never again have to put on those old worn out tents. Those old shells that they've left behind are gone. They're not putting them back on again. They're not putting on those worn out things. They have set them aside forever in order to put on the new resurrection body that God has prepared for them. You see, the power on display at Jesus' ascension proves that it is true. The power is real. 
and it was applied to Jesus, and so too for those who have placed faith in him, it will be applied to them. So if your faith is in Christ, that power on display when Jesus ascended into heaven is going to be applied to you one day. How I'm looking forward to that day. The power on display at Jesus' ascension is going to be ours. Secondly, we see the glory of Jesus' return to heaven. Have you ever tried to imagine what it must have been like when Jesus returned back to heaven on Ascension Day? What that must have been like. In 1943, General Dwight D. Eisenhower was promoted to the rank of Supreme Allied Commander of Forces in Europe. He then planned and oversaw the single largest military action in history on D-Day with the invasion of Normandy and the subsequent defeat of Hitler and Nazi Germany. On May 7, 1945, following Hitler's suicide and death, General Eisenhower accepted Germany's unconditional surrender. He was a hero. Everyone knew General Dwight D. Eisenhower's name. The Allied countries heaped honors upon honors on him. Every medal that was possible to be given was given. New medals were made up to be heaped upon him. And when he returned to the United States, more than a million grateful citizens turned out to welcome him in Washington. And a ticker tape parade was given in Manhattan, where he was greeted by over four million people who lined the streets just to get a glimpse of this great hero. Now, if we consider that in the the human realm, how big a spectacle that was, the celebration of this returning hero, this great general, as big and grand as the glory was heaped upon General Eisenhower, it pales in comparison to Jesus' victory parade when he returned to heaven's glory. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 to 13, the Apostle John gives us just a small glimpse on what that day must have been like. This is what we read in Revelation. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And all the four elders rose up and said, Amen. And now I can't even begin to imagine what that must have sounded like. When countless billions upon trillions of angels shouted in praise and worship as Jesus entered through the pearl gates of heaven. When at long last, the glory that had belonged to Jesus for all eternity passed, together with his Father, and that glory was removed for the season that he took on the form of a man like us in every way, he humbled himself. The glory was shrouded. And when he came back into his home, his eternal resting place, the glory that had been his from ages past engulfed him in a tsunami of ceaseless praise and worship. And you know what? The party still hasn't ended. Heaven is still rejoicing at what Jesus has done. What he has accomplished on behalf of sinners and the world, the glory that was his from ages past has just been multiplied and will continue on for ages upon age until time without end begins 
and then it will still continue. The party has just gotten started, my friends. And what does this mean for us? Well, one day we will join in our voices. We will join in our voices with the angels in that great choir. But you know what? We don't have to wait for heaven to start shouting and singing praises to Jesus for what he's done. God wants us to start practicing our praise and worship today. Amen? Today. We're not to wait until we get to the other side to get excited about what Jesus has done for us. He's done it. Victory is ensured. It's over. We can be excited about that. And we can start tuning up our vocal cords, even if we're not able to carry a a tune all that well. Maybe you, you save your singing for the shower, but wherever you do it, we can start practicing today. Because after all, who doesn't love being on the winning side? Jesus' victory over sin and death is not just an ancient footnote in history. No, it sounds and reverberates through history, past, present, and future. And this is why we are called by Paul more than conquerors through him who loved us. I want you to hear this today. Jesus' victory is your victory. His resurrection ensures your resurrection. And his ascension has secured your ascension. So that one day, when the trumpet sounds, the dead will wake up. And those alive will look up. And then we'll all fly up to be with the Lord forever. Because you see, a great ascension day is coming on that great rapture day. When the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are left alive will be caught up in the air, and so we will be forever with the Lord. You see, in every way that Jesus has gone before us, we will follow. In every way. He is the first fruits, but certainly not the last, to all who have put faith in him. So let me ask you a question today. After hearing all of this, do you feel just a little bit like you're losing at life? Do you feel that the trials are just beating you up and circumstances are just tossing you around? Do you feel discouraged? That depressing feeling that things will just never get better? I want you to hear and embrace this single truth today. Jesus' victory is your victory. His resurrection ensures your resurrection and his ascension has secured your ascension to glory. But now there's another precious truth to be learned from Jesus' ascension. For not only has it ensured our future victory, but it ensures our present victory right now today. Because Jesus has a continued ministry in heaven. You see, when Jesus returned home and sat down at the right hand of the Father, he didn't just put up his feet for the next 2,000 years and take it easy. Far from it. In fact, he has continued a tremendous ministry ever since. During Jesus' three-year earthly ministry, His earthly body limited the scope of what he was able to do to those directly around him in his direct geographical region. But after his ascension, his universal heavenly dimension expanded his ministry, enabling him to touch every region and every person on planet Earth. Now that might sound like a mouthful, right? But So how does he do this? How has he expanded the scope of his ministry? Well, two ways. The first you already know. When Jesus ascended... The Holy Spirit descended on Pentecost. In John 16, verse 7, Jesus said to his disciples, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, was of course given first at 
Pentecost. And his presence has been given to every single believer in Jesus Christ ever since. And as many times as I've wished that the Lord Jesus was physically here to help me, let me tell you, Wednesday night, I really wish Jesus was just in the room so I could just hug him or have him hug me. Isn't there times you just wanted him to be there physically? But he's not there in the physical way right now. But yet that night I still felt his presence. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus tells us that as good as it is to physically have him with us, it's even better to have him in us. For the Spirit is the means by how Jesus is alive within us today. So where is Jesus today? Yes, he's in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. But not only heaven. I want you to listen to this great mystery. Ephesians 4 verse 10. Christ who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. (laughs) I don't even know where to begin with that one. Maybe I'll get one of you to explain it to me. But what this is saying is, Jesus is not limited by time and space any longer. He is in heaven, and yet he fills the whole universe. That's big. That's vast. And yet it also seems sort of impersonal to me. And so what I love is that Jesus longs to make his vast presence personal for each one of us. You know, I asked my son Declan a few weeks ago. In a conversation, I asked him, where is Jesus today? And he replied... He's living in my heart. And you know what? He's not wrong. He's right. Ephesians 3 verses 16 and 17 says this. I pray that out of the riches of his glory, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So where is Jesus today? He is in heaven. He fills the whole universe and He dwells in our hearts through faith. Another time, Declan asked me a follow-up question. Dad, how does Jesus fit inside my heart? (laughs) Well, I got to explain to him something that's very difficult for even me to understand, but I did my best, and I explained to him that what we mean is he lives in our hearts through the presence of the Holy Spirit. For where one member of the triune God dwells, they all dwell. And so without the Spirit, we have nothing. But by the Spirit, we have everything. Or as Ephesians 3.19 says, all the fullness of God. So the Spirit's outpouring following the ascension was the first way Jesus' ministry continued. And the second is this. Jesus is continually interceding to the Father on our behalf. Let me ask you again. Do you feel as though life has caved in on you? where you don't know what or how to pray, listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 8.34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes. Rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of the Father, who also intercedes for us. So right now, mark this down. Jesus is praying for you. If you don't think you've got any other ally in your corner right now, Jesus is praying for you. He wants you to finish the race that's set before you. And this is why the writer of Hebrews wrote, Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help us in our time of need. So where is Jesus today? Well, he is here, 
He is there and he is everywhere. And someday soon, the trumpet shall sound and his physical presence will again break through the clouds of glory on that great and terrible day of the Lord when he shall return and we shall see him. So let me ask you today, are you ready for that day? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ that he can dwell in your heart through faith today? That he's not just there and everywhere, but that you can say with confidence, Jesus is here. He dwells in my heart through faith. He is welcoming you today. Why not give your life to him? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that as powerful as you are, As incredible as your presence is filling the entire universe, you long so much to make it personal for every last one of us here today. That simply by exercising faith to say, Lord Jesus, I believe in what you've done for me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. That you rose from the dead. That you've ascended to the right hand of the Father. And that you are ready to make your home in me. For as you said, you stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you that today can be that day where you come in. And Lord Jesus, we give you all glory and honor and praise. From this day until the day we shall meet you face to face. Amen.